the perils of trying to be everything to everybody, and more community questions on today's show. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 165. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal leadership. And once a month, the first Monday of the month, we open up the show to questions from the listening community. And I am thrilled to be joined again, as always, with my best friend in life, Bonnie Stahoviak, who is busy enough to not have a ton of time to need to obsess over hardly anything right (laughs) you should explain so for the many people who won't have looked at the comments section of your most recent post about not taking things personally one of your recommendations was we should keep ourselves busy so that we don't obsess about things we don't need to obsess about and i said that keeping myself pretty busy also really tired with two kids and just don't have the energy for it sometimes And I responded that one of the blessings of being a parent is that you just don't have a lot of time to obsess over things (laughs) like you did, at least like I did before we had kids. So it it really does help to be busy, you know? It's just it's just a good way to approach life. But anyway, not the topic of today's episode though. Uh, today's show, we had put a call out for questions on networking and actually got a whole bunch of questions and Facebook comments back on things not related to networking, and that's okay. So we'll talk a little bit at the end about networking, but I did want to tackle some of the comments here, Bonnie, that came in on Facebook or came in over email. And so I thought we'd jump right in here with a comment that Patricia made on the um, Coaching for Leaders Facebook page. And one of the questions I had put out there was just, what are people struggling with right now? I really wanted to know what we could address on the show. And Patricia said that she's struggling with uh, working with and working for micromanagers and was wondering if maybe we had some thoughts on that. Well, Patricia, I do have a few thoughts on this. I know Bonnie will as well. Um, You know, one of the things with, I think there's probably two factors here that are true for a lot of micromanagement situations and Bonnie might have some others she's thinking of. Um, but one factor is, you know, some, some people just have major control issues and I, (laughs) I don't know if that's something that in a lot of situations we're going to have the ability to influence in a substantial way. But the other factor that is the case in a lot of micromanagement situations, and I know has been the, the case for me when I have micromanaged and also when I've been micromanaged in some cases, is trust. And the person who's doing the micromanagement of not always having as much trust in the relationship as they as they'd like to in order to feel like the job is being done to the best possible quality standards and time standards. And so uh, so one suggestion for you, Patricia, is to look for ways that you can build trust in one of those relationships. And so uh, there are some practical things that any of us can do to build trust in relationships, particularly if we are giving deliverables to another person. So the three kind of <laughs> the three things that are key in every organization is schedule, quality, and cost. So if you want to build trust with someone you're doing work for, beat deadlines, exceed quality standards, or find a way to save money. 
Um, those three things, any one of them, can be a great way to build trust. So one of the things that I'd suggest is looking at your portfolio of work in front of you. Think about the work you are doing for the micromanager and look at where there's some opportunities to, in a creative way, to bring that in. Um, another way to look at this is to just to be proactive and to offer to be the person that maybe is doing more of that check-in and that communication. Um, you know, sometimes with trust, with, with, the, with a relationship like this is that for whatever reason, whether it's the control issues or whether it's the trust, is people want to feel like they're, they're, they're really, um, they're, they're clear on what's going on. Um, and so one thing you can do is to be a lot more proactive and to send in some regular communication is to check in uh, on your, you know, on a more, on a consistent schedule with the person that you are working with um, and to alert people immediately of bad news. And I think, um, I was thinking, Bonnie, of a situation with a customer we work with at Dale Carnegie, and we've had a long-term relationship with over the years. And there's many, many dozens of people involved in the strategy around this relationship. And there's a lot of uh, people we've trained over the years. And one of the things that's happened over time is that I've always been very diligent of anytime something happens that's unusual, or even if our organization made a mistake doing something, is always to alert them right away and let them know so they got the news from us first. And as a result, over time, that we've the relationship has developed a lot of trust. And we don't really have situations on either side where there's a lot of micromanagement because we've all built that trust over time because we've had really proactive communication. So, so there's a couple of suggestions for you. Bonnie, what are you uh, thinking of? Over the summer, I got to watching a television show, which many of our listeners will have seen, but it doesn't matter even if you haven't seen it. It's called Breaking Bad. Yes, I came late to the Breaking Bad party. And in order to get my point from this story, you don't need to ever have watched it or ever plan on watching it. But one of the episodes involves a fly. In fact, the entire episode involves a fly and they're working in a manufacturing facility. This character is. And for those of you that haven't seen a show, they're manufacturing an illegal substance. <laughs> and so the one character, and by the way, I'm not giving anything away if you, that's the premise of the entire show from the very first episode. But anyway, one of the characters just gets completely obsessed with this fly. And it, it, Absolutely. Like the insect fly? Yes. Drives him crazy. He destroys things. He he completely loses his mind over a fly. And it's funny because we are we have two young children here at home. One of them hasn't started crawling yet, but the other one is up and about. And he will oftentimes go out in the backyard and leave the door open. Or you don't even have to leave the door open to have the flies come in. And it just makes me chuckle. I never will look at flies the same way. Micromanaging can kind of be that same thing for some of us. I know for me it has because I have such a deep need for autonomy so many of us do. Daniel Pink talks about that in his book, Drive, just how it was in his research, one of the three most fundamental things that we need as humans. And of course, we show up to work as humans, those fundamental needs show up with us. And one of the things that's happened to me in my career around micromanaging is I can easily lose my focus. It can become my fly. I can become obsessed with it and want to destroy it and completely lose the perspective of it. So one thing I would just encourage 
you if that fits at all, and of course we have no idea about your situation, is to recognize that it may not be bigger than a fly. It may actually be smaller than you think it is, but it just feels really big because we do have such a need for autonomy. And so that, that may help. I mean, I, I just, I find, I don't want to give it too much attention more than it needs. And so one of the things that I have found useful is as Dave said, I want to make sure I'm communicating. I don't want to get into a battle of the wills because if we get into a battle of the wills, especially if we're in a reporting relationship and that person has some sort of formal power over us, or even if they have influence and informal power in the organization, if this is just about control issues and you're trying to control me and I'm trying to control you back to make you not control me, which is really still trying to control each other, that is not a good dynamic to get ourselves into. So one of the things I would suggest is keep your perspective. Is it just a fly? Is it, is it something that could be easily managed and ignored? You know, when the fly is across the room, I don't have to pay attention to it. It's across the room. The only time I really have to pay attention to it, in my opinion, is when it's on my food or, or on my skin. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's crazy how these things can, can uh, work and make us lose our perspective. So I, I would encourage you to keep perspective. And then I also would encourage you to be, as Dave said, the really good communicator and you've got your list of how things are working and to be making a lot of I statements. So I might say to Dave, if I had a sense he was micromanaging, I would want to say to him, Dave, it's really important to me that I achieve what you want me to achieve on this. And I'm starting to get the sense that that maybe I'm not on the right track because it seems like you're really paying a lot of attention. So is there something that I'm not doing that you're looking for me to do? Or is there is there maybe, can, can you help me see what the end point is? Can you help me see what our goal is? And so sometimes we can just through the questions that we ask, we can help coach that person into being less of a micromanager. If I'm asking questions about mm. the whys and the goals and the achievement we're looking for, sometimes that can help people back off a little bit. If it's micromanaging, not on a specific project, but on lots of things and we're just coming and dumping and dumping and dumping, then I like to have a list of all my projects. That's actually a really good practice for us to do, whether we're being micromanaged or not. And so if Dave came to me and he was trying to dump yet another thing on my list, I would say, gosh, Dave, can we just spend a few minutes? I've got here are the things that are right hot on my plate. And and with this, I, I definitely am behind you. I can see the importance, but can you help me see where it fits in with these other priorities so I can make sure that I'm focused on the right things? Mm, I like that. You know, it's I, I know you haven't listened to the show yet from last week with Tom Henschel. Um, and he talked about the importance of having things written down, especially when you're working with someone who, I mean, we talked about how to work for in a situation where you're working for a boss who's a jerk, but the importance of taking notes and having documentation and having something you can come back to. And uh, so that's, that's awesome. I love it. All right, good. So Patricia, I hope that's helpful. And, uh, and I'll put the link to Daniel Pink's book in the show notes here too. Drive is one of the best business books I've read in the last 10 years. I love that book. So check it out if you haven't already. All right. So we have a question here from Wally. Wally asked, have you addressed the topic of leaders who believe their executive team can be productive by competing with each other rather than working as a team? Uh, Wally, thank you for the question. I don't think we have talked about this on the show before. And so I'm going to toss it over to Bonnie first. Um, You've been on an executive team before, and I know you've worked with 
a lot of people who have been on executive teams. And so I thought I'd uh, toss this your way first and see what thoughts you have. Wally, I have a few thoughts. I have no answers. Because it is it is an area the executive team in organizations is fraught with peril. To even call them executive teams, at best, the most effective executive teams I have been witness to are should be called executive working groups. So if we're an effective working group, then we're communicating about results and communicating about interdependencies. But a team, a team is actually working together to achieve a common goal. And in pretty much every organization, true executive teams, they're really not teams, they're executive working groups. And I'm speaking, by the way, of larger organizations, sometimes smaller companies might call themselves an executive team, but if there's 10 people working there, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in a company of 100, 500, 50,000, those executives are typically executive working groups, not executive teams. And I'd encourage you to go back and listen to a couple of the episodes that Dave did with Susan Gerke. She talked about teams and she talked about the different kinds of teams. And that might be helpful for you just thinking about what should we really call ourselves so that we understand what the purpose is and how we might communicate and work best together. This whole idea of competition to me goes well beyond the executive team and really goes into culture. Specifically, the American culture is known for, and I certainly experience it on a daily basis, of just relishing competition. And sometimes we like to espouse in our organizations that we believe in working as a team, we believe in cooperating, collaborating, and working together. But those espoused beliefs oftentimes wind up not actually being the practice. And even it's not even such a bad thing. I think people could really believe that, really want that, really see it as an ideal, but just actually aren't able to play it out. That's one of the things that actually helps me is instead of in my mind of just saying, this person's doing this intentionally and they have malicious intent is to realize, they're not doing it intentionally. They're just not equipped to be able to do it. And that helps me be a little bit more realistic and I think softer in terms of how I approach other things. So for me, I think what resonates with me in life is not to be competitive. I think when we're competitive, what happens in a culture, in a system, is that someone else has to lose if I win. And what what seems to work but I see practiced so little is an achievement orientation. And I know there's been some research that's come out in the last couple of years about sales organizations because their results are fairly easy for us to measure if we're just looking at results as in sales. And we're starting to see that salespeople that sell together in a more collaborative and a more team effort, some of the research it's early still, so we can't, it's not a proven fact and we should just all go change everything this second. But it's interesting to see how some of this emerging research is starting to make us question, gosh, what would it look like if our culture and our organizations truly were more team oriented, truly were more achievement oriented, and we could all be working toward achieving things together. Mm. But it, it does come back to one of the things, one of the hints, if you wanted to look at an executive team and analyze it, well, if you looked at their projects, 
are their projects truly have a dependence on everyone on that team? Most of the times they don't. Or look at their compensation plans. Are they compensated overall for achieving the company goals or are they compensated for the ones within their division or their department? So as I said, Wally, no real answers, but some questions and some thoughts around competition versus achievement. Wow, lots lots of good things to think of. And I, I was thinking as you were saying that, the distinction between competition and conflict too. I, there's been a few organizations that I've worked with or been part of where the, I think sometimes people mistake teamwork for absence of conflict. And really, if you look at the research and the literature and and the best teams that are out there, is a lot of times the, the teams that really are true teams have a lot of conflict and openly talk about the challenges and, and disagree with each other. But ultimately, like you said, Bonnie, are working toward that achievement, the ultimate achievement for the organization, even if someone's idea loses or someone's position doesn't end up being successful. So to not, one suggestion I'd have for any leader in any, any organization is to not necessarily shy away from conflict is that you want to bring out conflict in your organization, assuming it's serving a purpose and is working toward that achievement. And a great read on this, if you haven't read it and you're part of an executive team, and, and more importantly, if you're leading an executive team, is Patrick Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. You know, if, if you're on an executive team, you have to read that book. It's just, it, it just, he does a wonderful job of breaking this down very simply. And I think better than anyone I've read, Bonnie, just articulates like kind of the key things you want to be thinking of for how to really get to that true executive team. And I, I think that that's a, that's a continual struggle for a lot of organizations is how do they really walk that walk. Okay, so thanks so much, Wally. I hope that gets you started on some thoughts for how to approach that. Let's go next, Bonnie, here to Mike. So Mike says he's struggling finding enough time in the day to be everything to everyone. Uh, and then he also said he knows he also knows that that's impossible. Uh, Mike, I can totally relate to what you're saying. I think, uh, and I know Bonnie uh, certainly struggles with this too on a regular basis. You know, um, I, I love the the thought around this that you can do anything you want. You just can't do everything you want. And I've heard a quote recently from Andy Stanley, I think it's attributed to, which says, I do for the few, which I wish I could do for everyone. And I think that that is a really wise thought because it is very easy if if you're a leader in any position of influence, and I happen to know that that Mike is, um, it is, it's hard to it's hard to do everything and it's impossible to do everything and you can't. So you have to make choices about what you're going to do and how you're going to spend your time and how you're going to prioritize it. And I think I've mentioned this on the show before, Bonnie, is one of the things that I will do at the beginning of the day is figure out what are the two or three most important things that day that need to happen. And I use a task management system called OmniFocus and I flag them in OmniFocus. You use it too, where I focus on those things first. And so even if the smaller, less important things don't happen, I know that I've knocked out the big things that are that are key and important to me each day. So I think that that's knowing what you need to say yes to is a framework that also makes it easier to figure out what you also need to say no to. Because my tendency, at least 
is to say yes to a lot of things. And so if I know what's most important, it's easier for me to say, no, I don't have time for that meeting or that phone call or for this commitment because I have these things that I've already determined are the most important priorities this week, this month, this year with our strategic plan or just on a personal level. Bonnie, what are you thinking? One of the tools that I found really useful is Michael Hyatt's Ideal Week Framework. Mm. And he has a blog post and an Excel spreadsheet template that you can download from his blog post. And Dave will put this in the show notes. And it lets you take a look at what an ideal week would look like. Now, of course, none of us have ideal weeks. And a lot of us have weeks that look different, but it has been a helpful framework because what it does do, even though my weeks will differ, my weeks aren't going to differ in terms of how many hours are in them. And so I can, and there's parts of my weeks that won't really differ too tremendously. I am a professor, so I have classes that will for 15, 16 weeks be the same. And so I can start to plug in priorities like my health and exercise and spending time with our children and my classes. And then of course, classes are tied to grading. And then I have a podcast and do some blogging as well. I I would like to do more writing. (laughs) So you start to think about all the roles that you play and the priorities that you have and put them into that ideal week. And I did it again before my semester started back in August and realized it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We, I mean, to be, people talk a lot about how do you and Dave do it? Well, how do we do it? We figure out what's important to us and we spend our time there. But just like you said, I can't, there's a lot of things that are important to me that for this season just didn't fit in, but at least I've acknowledged that. that. And I think I talked to you about this for me. I really realized that just for friendships, that's, that's, I don't have time to foster a lot of different kinds of friendships with people from all different stages of life. I mean, I can catch the occasional lunch with people at work, that kind of thing, but regular sustaining those deep friendships that require that contact, I got to really minimize that list and have friendships with people who are going to be comfortable with, and I was going to say accepting of, but I'm hoping for embracing the fact that we have young children. Mm -hmm. So if that means coming over, we have a friend, Julie, that'll come over and hang out with us and the kids. And to her, that's getting to spend time with us. And she enjoys that. There would be some people who would think I don't want to be around you with your children. That's just not enjoyable. And I'm just not in a position right now where I can spend a lot of time with people who aren't going to enjoy time with our children because it it just doesn't all fit in that week. And that exercise helped me be able to look at that and just realize it is a, a question of priorities. And then I can say, Hey, in another season of life, that's going to perhaps be more important to me. And then other things might be less important. The other thing that allows you to do is to compare. I think you've talked about this on, on previous shows is you can look at that ideal week then. And then how did you spend your time this past week? Or how are you planning on spending this coming week and see where there are disconnects between the ideal and the reality and do some troubleshooting there. I, I love that framework and uh, yeah, Michael Hyatt's thoughts on that were really inspirational for me too. We'll put a link to his original post on this in the show notes. And I do the same thing with my schedule and David Sparks, who's been on the show, kind of gave me a good hack for this that um, I, I've actually created a separate calendar in my uh, calendar system that just says template. And when I click on it, it shows me what I want my week to look like. And then when I click off it, I look at my own week of how it actually looks. So that's how I actually start my planning for the week. And I found that to be tremendously helpful. And like you said, it makes decisions a lot easier 
of what do you have time for or what not. Um, I was asked recently to be an elder at our church and to serve for, it was a three-year commitment. And we talked about, you know, and they were telling me about all the different things that were required of that. And I would love to do that. I, I've always thought that that would be a neat thing to do and a neat way to serve. But when I looked at the weekly template and I thought about our current commitments and all that, it was really a pretty easy decision from a logistical standpoint that I couldn't do that right now. It's just, it's just not part of what is most important. And so disappointing, sure. But like you said, there will be another season of life where that, that time will be there to do that. And I think what it helps you do is not have it be a complete on-off off switch. What we did decide to do when they asked us if we would lead a study for 10 weeks was we can lead a study for 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's an amount of time we can do it. it has it been easy? <laughs> Absolutely <No>. not, <laughs> including last week when the childcare issues fell through and we're both sitting on the floor with our children, which is not anything that's happened in the prior weeks. But I mean, it, we had to just make it work because sometimes... Yeah. Sometimes things don't go the way you planned, but but you have to just kind of figure it out. But ha- having that starting point so critical, I mean, we happen to be recording this on a Thursday afternoon because 30 a- Thursday afternoon, in my schedule at least, is production time for shows and for recording. And so that just fits into the weekly schedule. That's where it goes. And so we, tr- we both try to be really intentional about where we put in our time and to the extent we can control that to make it, uh, to make it happen. All right, let's uh, tackle our final uh, final question here. Oh, this actually isn't even a question. Uh, this is, I was going to say something about networking. This show originally was going to be about networking. So for those of you who may have been looking for some advice there, I thought it might make sense, Bonnie, for us just to say a little bit about networking here for a moment. Um, you know, networking, I think, is a lot. one of the things that tends to be a struggle for a lot of people is how do I... And speaking of time and resources, how do in the midst of my career, my family, uh, maybe a few hobbies and friendships, how do I actually build a professional network too? Uh, you know, what's what's maybe one or two things I could do to take practical action on that? And so, um, if you find yourself struggling with that, as I know I certainly have and do on a regular basis, is um, I'd, I'd start with. Um, this this is not a perfect answer, by the way, for everyone. And I know people have different feelings about some of the online networks, but I do think LinkedIn is a helpful framework that makes it very easy for you to engage with other people in the professional world. And if you do nothing else, I'd suggest taking a look at starting a LinkedIn profile if you don't already have one. Get some information up there about your professional history. You don't have to put all the details up there, but at least get some information up there so people can locate you online. And one of the things I really liked about, or I like about LinkedIn, Bonnie, is that I get updates and and you can choose how many updates you get and how often, but I like getting the emails. I don't know how often LinkedIn sends them. I get them maybe a couple times a week with, it says, here's what's going on in your network. And I see all the people that I'm connected to or have connected with me just what people are doing as far as they've moved to a new job or maybe they're in a different part of the country or they have a book coming out or something like that. And I find that that's just a really um, simple, sometimes just very passive way to know what's going on in the world and to stay connected with people. And I really like that. And I find, um, and, and I like being able to find people on LinkedIn and build those relationships. And so um, if you don't do anything around networking other than maybe that being a starting point and connecting with some of the people you know who are already on the network, I'd certainly suggest that. And for those who are looking for some practical advice on how to do that, 
Uh, check out episode 101 from this show. Donna Schilder was my guest, and she has done a lot of work on coaching people on how to build LinkedIn profiles. So if you're looking for just kind of what are the key four or five things that you should be thinking of when creating a profile, check out episode 101, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. The only other thing for me is that it isn't always about people being too busy, but I hear a lot people being too nervous to do it and the discomfort with connecting with people we don't know. And one thing that, boy, anytime I get nervous, whether it's to go up, I remember I used to have a really big block over anytime I was going to present to over a hundred people, the heart would just start racing. And one of the things that really, really helped me was to, to change the framework when we're nervous about going out to meet new people or when we're nervous about presenting, we're looking inward at ourselves. And it's somewhat of a, I don't want to sound harsh, but it's kind of a selfish thing. How am I going to look? How am I going to seem? How, what's my, my, my first impression going to be like? One tweak that for me helps is to turn that to the outside and to be thinking about when I go into a room, who here might really need to have their day cheered? I guarantee you, you go into any group of people, there's going to be someone there who would benefit from a little bit of encouragement or connection. You think you're nervous? Guarantee you someone else there is nervous too. Mm. Who might just need to have that extra eye contact and a smile and a warm greeting to make them feel a little bit more confident about their own networking? And when we think about how we might be able to help other people and get outside of ourselves, even with speaking, What's the one takeaway that if just one person walked out of this room having that, they might be able to benefit from that. Then I can be caring more about my audience, analyzing my audience, figuring out their needs, and then get outside of my own self. I I love that. And I think that one of the things that's been really helpful to me of being better and more intentional about like building friendships, for example, is reading how many people struggle with that. Even some of the really big names out there in the leadership world. I think of Michael Hyatt again. Um, we mentioned him earlier. He has a very successful platform and show and and runs conferences all over the world. And this guy's, you know, incredibly well connected. And I remember him writing an article a few years ago about how how to build friendships as an adult and how he struggled with that for so many years. And I thought, wow, you know, if that if that guy struggles with that, how many more of us out there struggle with that so much? I know I've struggled with that, and I've that gave me the confidence to really be a lot more intentional about that, and I am a lot better with that now. I, there are people that I do call as friends that I didn't, you know, two or three years ago, and that's that's been really helpful. But I, it's just, um, it, it is helpful to remember to get out of just ourselves and to think who else is struggling with this, and so many people are. I went to speak guest speak in a master's program last night. And one of the women followed up with me today and said, thank you so much for speaking. I got a lot out of it. And I saw this article and it was something that she knows is from my talk. It wasn't the focus of my talk, but she knows I'm interested in. And I thought you might be interested. Done. And I thought that is so smart to do that. And one of the things that a tool like LinkedIn, although there's a lot of other tools that'll do this for you, even just your contacts manager on your computer or your phone, is to be keeping notes of people's interests. And I kind of keep these notes in my head, but (laughs) we can also have them electronically. And she knows I'm interested in educational technology. And and so now she's connected with me that way. It's, I mean, it's only been a day, but no one else from the class followed up. You can bet I'm going to remember her Mm. because of that. I'm going to remember that connection that because she 
gave me the encouragement. Thank you. And then she also gave me a resource. And it's just, it's just a really good practice to get in. It doesn't take that long to do it and can really start to build your brand in people's minds. And it's kind of like they put on commercials, you know, all the time. And with commercials, they find out that if you just put the commercial on once, doesn't really have that much impact. You might as well not pay for the spot at all. We got to pay for spots over a period of time and have the frequency built in there too, because that frequency is what adds the power to the punch of your advertising investment. So it's kind of the same thing when we think about our personal brand is we want to have the frequency there too. And in fact, there is a, I've been doing this with people I've had on my podcast who are pretty big names that were so gracious to be on the show. And I want to make sure I stay in contact with them. I also do this with either prior clients or prospective clients. It doesn't take me that long. And by the way, I'm really passionate about what it is they do too. This is not an artificial thing. It's not like I'm thinking, how can I scheme to try to manipulate these people? It's a genuine fun thing for me to say, ah, there's all these connections of people's interests and passions. And oh yeah, I do want to have a relationship with these people. And Mm. I do want to have it go beyond just the one time shot. Like if they were just on my podcast once, or they were just our clients once, I don't really like those one-time things. I think that to me, relationships are so much more beneficial on all sides when they're over a period of time and there's a little bit more depth there. As always, appreciate not only your questions for the Q&A shows, but also your responses as well. If you have something to add in on any of these topics, I hope you'll go over to the show notes and join the conversation happening online, coachingforleaders.com slash 165, and maybe have uh, something you disagree with in one of our answers too. I'd love to hear that and hear a different perspective on some of these questions Again, coachingforleaders.com slash 165. For those of you who get the weekly updates, the link to the comments will always be in the weekly email on Wednesday. And uh, there's often some good comments that are going on online and some resources that come up that don't necessarily come up in the show. So check that out. And the next Q&A show is going to be episode 169 in early, let's see, December. Man, that's getting close to the end of the year. And episode I, I am still attempting to maybe have a show built around a theme at some point with Q&A. Maybe I'm fighting a losing battle there, or it doesn't even need to be a battle. Uh, but hey, you know, send in any question you have. But the theme for the December show will be on strategy. So it's getting towards the end of the year. Speaking of December, it is the time of year that a lot of organizations and leaders are thinking about what's next, what is up for the next year, uh, what are we thinking as far as strategic planning, but also strategy from a leadership standpoint and strategy of how to develop people. So uh, if that is on your mind, I hope you'll submit a question for that show. You can do that starting immediately at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. Also, a huge thank you to all of you who subscribed to the weekly update during the month of October here. If you're listening to this in October 2014, more people join the weekly update this month than have ever joined it uh, in, a, in a month. It's really pretty amazing. And I'm just so grateful for so many of you who have made me and this show and Bonnie a part of your development. It is just such an honor to get messages from all across the world on a 
daily basis. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of you who have put your trust in me. And I hope that you will continue to join, if you haven't already, the weekly update if you've been listening for a bit, because you will get the show notes for every episode, including this one, sent to your inbox on Wednesday. And along inside that email will always come an article from me that will be helpful to you in continuing to strengthen yourself as a leader. So thanks to the folks this past week who all jumped in on the weekly update. Ruben Suarez. Hey, Ruben, good to hear, uh, see your name here. Bruce Eckfeld, Keith Shaw, uh, someone named Pratik. Hello, Pratik. Anna Tolley, Irma Higgins, Peter Bush, Tim Barnes, Pete Kirkpatrick, Mick Boge or Boge, Lindsay Lee Waters, David Wellard, Sue Barber from the Illinois-Wisconsin border. Hi, Sue. McLean Ebotson, Amy Back, Michelle Esters, Sheila Culver. Hey, Sheila. Yehan Jar. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this again. Yehan Jayasena. I hope I said that right. Yehan. <laughs> nice to nice to see your name. Ray Lacasse. Fadi Razik and Muna A. Thank you all of you for joining that weekly update. And if you'd like to get it as well, you just need to go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. In addition to getting the update on Wednesdays, you'll also get my guide to the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others, including the two that I rely on weekly. Again, you can get to that coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe for instant access. And also a final thank you this week to John Borden down under in Australia. Hey, thanks man for the nice review on iTunes. He had previously left one on Stitcher and we've been exchanging some emails. John, just great to get to know you. And I'm so glad, so glad that you found out about the look and sound of leadership show that Tom Henschel runs, who was on the show last week from this show. And uh, John's also been listening to the Carnegie Coach Show, which I'm doing Tuesday through Friday. So if you haven't checked that out already, it is at carnegiecoach.com, or you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher or anywhere else you listen. Hey, thanks in advance for those of you who have left reviews for the show. And uh, I'm always grateful for those if you have a moment when you're at your computer to leave a review or even on your mobile device. Hey, have a great week. And I look forward to talking with you again next week. Bye.